0: Well, let's dive into our uh, Gospel of Luke. We Once again, we are working our way through the life of Jesus. I've committed that each Sunday, whether it's myself or Riley Sturman, our preaching intern, or whoever, that we're going to be preaching Jesus each and every Sunday this summer, this year. And we've been faithful to that as we've gone through the COVID season, and we're faithful to that going into the summer we're going we to continue to go. So if you've got your scripture journals, or you've got a Bible, or you want to open your app, we're going to be in Luke chapter 21. So I'm going to go ahead and cue that up for you, so Luke 21, so you can find that and be a part, uh, be a part of that where we're going to be today. While you're finding that, I am going to do a teaser for next week. Next week, as I said, we're going to continue the life of Jesus. And Riley Sturman, our preaching intern, if you got a chance to hear him a couple weeks ago, you know that Riley's got a gift. And he has got a passion to preach God's Word. And I'm so grateful that we get to experience him this summer and be a part of... That I know that, I know that I've got the right preaching intern when the feedback that I get after he preaches a sermon too is always, hey, are you worried about your job? And so I think we're in the right place now with Riley because that's the kind of feedback I get after he brings the message. Next week he's bringing, we're going to cover part of Luke today. The very next part of Luke is going to be about the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to experience the Lord's Supper in a powerful way next week. And so Riley has already begun prepping that message. And so I want you to either online or here on the campus to be ready for that. And what does that mean when we're people of God and we come around this table together? And it's not simply just uh, going through the motions, and it's not simply taking a bite of food. There is so much that Jesus leaves us with and these commandments and these directions, and more importantly, this invitation into what it means to be with that. And so, next week, no excused absences. How about that? Okay? Online or in person, either way, we'll do that. But today, we are picking up in the story, and if you remember, Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. And the first move that he makes is he goes in and he clears the temple, and it's radical and it upsets people. Now, I know that we have a world today it's hard to imagine anybody being upset, Right? But Jesus actually does something that's politically incorrect, and he begins calling a challenge to the temple. And he challenges the authorities that would be, and he's basically making the case that you are getting in between God and his children. And this does more than ruffle feathers. This starts the clock ticking to where they're going to try to take his life. And not only does Jesus clear the temple and and move out all those that are trying to exchange money, exorbitant rates, and all those that are trying to turn it into a um, a commercial enterprise. But he then begins to teach. And so we leave him last week in teaching in the temple. And it's even the idea is that he cleansed it and then he filled it again and he filled it with a gospel message. And so Jesus is now talking to his closest followers. And here's the point where it begins to change. See, right now, he's come in with this triumphal entry. Right now, it seems like the wind is at his back, but he's about to start saying things that are hard to hear. And what he says is what I teased up earlier, saying this is where it's going to seem like I played around with the, the text before we came to this one to match up exactly what's going on in our world right now. Because it sounds like Jesus is talking straight to us but he is responding to his earliest followers right in front of him, and he gives them some warnings. This is some of the hardest teaching that Jesus has because it sounds like some of the most depressing, some of the most Debbie Downer kind of stuff, but if we will take our time, and I'm going to walk us through most of chapter 21, but we are on a journey that our promise is headed somewhere. Okay? And if you will follow along with this journey and go with me on this, I, think, I believe there's a blessing and a payoff for you at the end. So, with that in mind, Luke chapter 21 says this, And while some were speaking of the temple, remember, that's where he's standing and he's um, been teaching the temple, and they noticed how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. He said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when, we will, when will we see these things, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, we've got to pause right there because you have to understand how radical this would have sounded to the original hearers. See, we know the world today, and we know that when you go to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, there is not a temple on it. If you're familiar with pictures of it all, you do see a structure there that has a gold dome over it. That is a Muslim uh, sanctuary. It's not, a, it's not a, um, one of their worship sites, but it's a Muslim site. And, and that is not the temple. The temple that Jesus was referring to was an incredibly impressive structure, one of the greatest structures in the area, if not in most of the known world at the time. And it had stood for, are you ready for this, 1,000 years. It was solid. And Jesus is talking at a time when they just finished about a 46-year remodel project of it. 46 years they've been remodeled. So when they're noticing, notice it says all the the, the adornment, and the decorations and how fancy it is. That's because everybody's paying attention like, oh wow, the remodel's over. They've done good. They're, they're noticing this. But think about a thousand-year-old structure. We don't have anything that compares to that in this world. On my chance to go visit the the Holy Lands and be in, be in Jerusalem, we were going down one street and the guy that was guiding us stopped and he there was a, a fountain built into the wall. And he made note that this was a fountain from Saladin, the Muslim crusader that took over Jerusalem. And when they came in, they built different structures. They built this fountain. This fountain was 800 years old. That's four times older than anything we have in this country. Okay, four times longer than this country's been around. And this fountain was just there. I could go up and touch it. It was just a fountain on the side of the road. In fact, it only had a little sign beside it to even let you know. If that had been in this country, we would have had the ropes around it and the glass in front of it, and it would have been all marked off. Think of a structure that had been around for a thousand years. And here's Jesus saying, it's not going to exist. Not only that, there's not going to be a stone left on top of a stone. The closest experience that I have for us is this. Let me show you a picture. This is a picture taken by my sister-in-law. It is looking across at the island of Manhattan. If you notice, in this picture are the Twin Towers still standing. If, I don't know if you can see it, but down the corner, the date of this picture, it's got her name signed, the date of this picture says September 3rd, 2001. Can you imagine how crazy the conversation would have been if somebody had come along and suggested, right after she snapped this picture, it says, you know, eight days from now, you're not going to see the towers. Eight days from now, the skyline's going to be radically changed forever. Eight days from now, these towers are not going to start being deconstructed. They're going to be on the ground. That's how jarring it is or that at least starts getting as close to how jarring it would have been for Jesus' disciples to hear, not a stone is going to be left on top of a stone. And if you go and you see Jerusalem now, it is incredible because there are now um, piles of rocks at the base of the retaining wall for the Temple Mount, and they are the stones that the Roman army threw off the top, and the debris files, still, there's still debris, these massive stones together. So Jesus lays this on them. And then he goes on to say this. He says, And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Okay, what's, what's he doing? You're going have to remember through the rest of this passage, he is answering their question. What was their question? Notice it was not, why will these things happen? It's, when will these things happen? And so everything that follows is Jesus providing an answer to the when question. And he says, now, you're going to have to pay attention because other people are going to come in my name and they're going to come claiming to be me. Okay, that gives us an indication that Jesus has a certain amount of notoriety, doesn't it? He's got a certain level of popularity that others would come along as imposters and imitate him. Imitate him with this and try to lead them astray. He says, so you're going to have to pay attention. And he says, the time is at hand. Don't chase after them. But when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified because these things are going to take place. Keep reading with me. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, if you're like me, what you want to do in the margins, you want to write, sounds like 2020. Does that not sound like what we're living in right now? We've got pandemic. We've got racial tension. We've got riots. We've got countries at war. All of this is happening. But here's the secret. Jesus is not talking directly to us. Now, there's some applications. He is still answering their question in the moment. They say, when's it going to happen? And Jesus lays out all these predictions. And if you follow history, following from this point in the Roman Empire, for the next several um, seasons, there is earthquakes, there are famine, and there is chaos in the Roman Empire. One of the things that happens in the Roman Empire shortly after um, Jesus makes this prediction and right before Jerusalem falls, in AD 68, Nero, who had been the emperor, who had been the, the supreme ruler of the world, commits suicide. And when he does, they go into the year, what they call the year of the four emperors. Four different Caesars vied for the throne, vied for control, all in the same year. And some of them took their own life. Some of them were defeated. But can you imagine the chaos that would ensue if suddenly in our country and it went through four different administrations, one right after the other, turning over like that on side of a year. And all the changes that came. And ours still comes peacefully. Theirs didn't come peacefully. So you're starting to get a picture. And what happens? Jesus calls it. Jesus predicts it. He, he is saying, pay attention to this. And so... Not only does he predict his own crucifixion, his own burial, and his own resurrection, he is now predicting things that are going to come to pass in the very near future. But, as members of 2020, as members experiencing this, we can look back on what he's encouraging them, and we can gain something from it. So let's look at what he does. Verse 12, But before all this... Okay, before this happens, before all the chaos, okay, and it's almost like saying before the bad news, I have the really bad news. You ever have one of those experiences that somebody says, I've got bad news and I've got more bad news. Which one do you want first? You're like, just, just give it to me all at once. Because here it comes. Well, Jesus is about to show them the real bad news. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. You are going to experience persecution. Not only will you experience what's going on in the world around you, your world's going to be shaken. Your world's going to be upset because people are going to blame you. This is exactly what happened. Nero needed an excuse, and he found the Christians as a great scapegoat. And so he placed the blame for the problems of the Roman Empire onto the Christians, and it opened up all kinds of persecution, not only from Rome, but the Christians are also going to receive persecution from their own, from the Jewish people, from those that, that were, they were formerly worshippers of, and now because they decide that Jesus is God... The Jewish religious leader said, now we'll persecute you as well because they couldn't handle that dichotomy. And Jesus is, Jesus is calling it out and he's saying, and look how strange this is. He says, you will be brought before kings and governors from a namesake. And then he drops this strange line. This will be your opportunity. Okay, if you're following along, opportunity is the word that I want you to circle. I want you to highlight that. Because that's not the word that I would expect there. This will be your reason to run and hide. That's what I expect there. This will be your reason to go silent. But Jesus says, this is your opportunity. And I am grateful to a friend and a guy that I admire in his preaching a lot, a guy named Chris Seedman. And Chris points out in this passage, and I'm so grateful for him pointing it out, that what happens and the reason we struggle with this so much is because we, in this country, where we enjoy a certain amount of religious freedom, the problem is we've come to think that we have to have religious freedom to have opportunity. Do you understand the difference? We think that if we lose religious freedom, we lose opportunity, and Jesus does not see the equation the same way. He says, in the moment where you're experiencing persecution, congratulations, you have opportunity. And what it means is you will have opportunity of somebody in front of you. At some point, they'll be asking a question. I don't know if it's going to come in your family, at the grocery store, across the lunch table, maybe somebody you work with, maybe somebody you've encountered, maybe somebody that delivers your groceries. I don't know, but there's going to be opportunities for you. And I can clearly see that in this season of COVID, in this season of racial tension in this season of all the things that make us feel like Jesus is talking right to the year 2020, I have already seen opportunity. We've seen more and more people turning and saying, tell us why you can be so calm in the middle of this. They're looking at followers of Jesus that are reacting differently than the world reacts. And does anybody want to argue that the world's high anxiety right now? And yet, in the middle of it, the followers of Jesus have been given an opportunity to speak. And it has to do with the person that's going to be right in front of you. That's going, to be right, that's going to be asking you the question. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody, again, that you've known for a long time. And suddenly, because of the situation that we're now in, they're going to be asking a different question than they've ever asked before. And you have an opportunity to speak. And what Jesus is saying is, don't miss it. Now, that feels incredibly burdensome to me, terrifying to me, scary to me, because I don't know what I'm going to say in that moment. Anybody else have that thought? I mean, I'm the first to admit I'm not always going to know what to say, and I'm a professional Christian, okay? Okay. This is the problem that we have. But here's what Jesus says. And look at this. He says, you're going to have opportunity. Look at the very next verse. Verse 14. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. Verse 15. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Wow. What he's saying is, you pay attention for those opportunities. And when they come, I will give you the words to speak. He's saying, do not pretend that you can have it all figured out ahead of time. This is not about you saying, well, I've got to do 14 more hours or 14 more years or whatever of study in my Bible, and I've got to just have it all memorized before I'm ready to go. Jesus says, you don't sweat that. You be aware of the opportunities in that moment. I'll give you the answer. And notice the language he uses. Before you're, when you're going to be drugged before kings and governors. You're going to be taken before people with more power than you. And there's an opportunity. When you feel like you're in captivity, guess what? You've got a captive audience in front of you. And here's the powerful thing. This is exactly what happens in Luke. This is exactly what happens in Acts. And remember, Luke wrote Acts. And he's predicting the very near future when Paul ends up, not this is the only time, but Paul ends up in the book of Acts chained day and night to a Roman centurion. And every time there's a shift change, every time a new Roman centurion comes in to take his turn on guard, he's chained to Paul, and what does Paul do? Paul goes, I got an opportunity! And he starts to preach. And it's unbelievable to think, but as the gospel began to expand outward and outward more and more, that when Acts ends, it says the whole household of Caesar has come to hear the gospel. Paul saw opportunity in the middle of persecution. Persecution throughout Scripture and throughout history has been the means by which the gospel has spread. I don't know all the things that God's going to do with COVID-19, but here's what I do know is that whatever persecution we feel like we're experiencing, it is the fire that cannot be squelched because every time in persecution, the gospel spreads farther. The gospel spreads farther. If you're aware of history that's gone on in China, when the Chinese missionaries were, were kicked out, and they were kicked out for over 70 years, lots of people thought that was the end of the church in China. And there's estimates that range somewhere Somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 people were believers in Jesus in China at the time, which is obviously, by either count, a very small minority. But over the next 70 years, when it began to open back up again, what they discovered was millions had come to claim Jesus as Lord. The persecution came, but it could not squelch with Jesus. Opportunity came With it, And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do. So I don't know how we're going to get our opportunity to speak, but let's think about in a world that's running high with anxiety, who better to talk about the peace that passes understanding than followers of Jesus? In a world that's wrestling with racial tension, who better to talk about sacrificial love and speak the way of peace than the followers of Jesus? We have been given great opportunity. They go on to this one, verse 16. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of, some of you they will put to death. You may want to circle that word. You will be hated by all for my namesake. This is not what you put on the recruitment poster. But not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance. You will gain your lives. Okay, that sounds totally contradictory. Jesus says says, some of you will be turned over by your own family members and you will be put to death. And then he ends it by saying, but you will not perish. Not even a hair on your head will perish. Here's what you need to understand from Jesus' point of view. There's a difference between death and perishing. They're not the same. So many of us, in the name of Jesus, you may experience the physical, physiological experience of death. But that is different than perishing. And what Jesus says, I'm not here to spare you from death. I am here to rescue you from perishing and being separated from God for all eternity. That's what's on Jesus' number one priority. We experience death, and it's scary. We experience death, and it separates us from the ones that we love. But Jesus has not come to promise that we would not experience death, but we would not experience the perishing. And it's with that bold confidence that we can go forward. It's with that understanding that we can move into what he's calling us to be. Okay, moving quickly. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. So now he's right back in. He's talked about what's happening to us. And now he's going to go right back in to what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it for the days of vengeance to, fu- to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant for those who are nursing infants in those days. There will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and they will be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Understand, if you were a Jewish person, this would be really hard to hear. This is the equivalent of saying, saying, in a few years, America's not going to exist anymore. In a few years, Washington, D.C. is going to be overrun. All that we hold value, all that we hold sacred is going to be um, taken away from us. That, that's what they're hearing. And God's going to let this happen? Understand, it's the people of God realizing that Jesus is telling them that God's going to allow this to happen. Why is this going to happen to us? And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, because of how you've gotten in the way of my children. Remember what he did at the temple? He cleared out the court of Gentiles because, once again, barriers to coming to know God were being put up. Obstacles to coming to know God were being put in place. And so God is willing to pull people that are, even if they claim to be followers of his, sideline them for a little bit. And that's what he's going to do. He's sidelining his people. And yet, the gospel's going to grow anyway. And that's what he means by the last sentence. He says, they're going to be trampled underfoot. The temple's going to be decimated. It's all going to be gone until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the Gentiles receive the good news. Receive the gospel. And by the way, the Gentiles, that's you and me too. And we are blessed by this very promise because it began to go around the globe at that point. Okay, wrap it up here. Verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars of the earth and distress of the nations and perplexity because of the roaring sea and the waves. And what he's doing is he's using very symbolic language. I know the temptation to say this describes the end of times, but remember, he's still answering the same question. And so he uses very symbolic language. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And there's the next word I want you to circle. Will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is saying this, things that you think are unshakable are about to be shaken. Your world, because you have put trust in all these things, you put trust in the temple, you put trust in the nation, you put trust in all kinds of places but in me, they're about to be shaken, and you're going to see that which you thought was unshakable is going to be shaken. Now, what happens when something is unshakable and everything else gets shaken, that which was unshakable is now revealed. Does that make sense? When we think something can't be shaken and it shows that it can be shaken and taken away, the only thing left is that which is truly unshakable. Some of you have gone through a season of being shaken. All of us on some level have experienced that with what's gone on in the last couple of months of being shaken. That which we thought was secure has been taken away. And Jesus is saying, In that moment, you will see, it will be revealed, the things that are unshakable. And what is that? He answers it 27. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And once again, it's a prophecy for us, but also for back then. Back then, when Jerusalem was under siege in AD 70 and the temple was, was decimated and just razed off of the Temple Mount, that began the process of scattering all the followers of Jesus into the known world. And as they went through the world, they carried with them the gospel everywhere they went. They were then given opportunity to go in all these places And so, at the very moment where it looks like God was suffering His greatest blow, the gospel begins to go like wildfire throughout. And the Son of Man, Jesus, was revealed to all. And then here's what happens. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of all that brings us anxiety, here's the sentence I want you to underline It's the last part of 28. Straighten up. Raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. Followers of Jesus, in the midst of all that brings us anxiety, should stand up and look up. Followers of Jesus should stand up and look up. Because here's what we're doing. We're not near as concerned about the kingdoms in front of us as we are the kingdom above us. I know we live here. We get our mail here. This is where we think all of life happens, but we're in the midst of the chaos. We can go, this world is not my home. There's an old hymn that says that. We're just passing through. So we're going to look up, and we're going to trust in the thing that is unshakable, the glory of Jesus. So he ends the whole thing this way. Verse 34. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Which this sounds a little funny. And what he's saying is, it's not always going to be bad. And during the good times, be careful. Because that's when you fall asleep. That's when you lose your alertness. He says, but the day will come upon us suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times. Pay attention at all times. And then he ends this way, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This whole passage leads up to this one line. Do you stand before Jesus? Where do you stand in relationship to Jesus? All of these opportunities, all of these crises, as he reveals himself to be the only thing that's unshakable. When you go through seasons of being shaken, seasons of all that you thought you could trust are taken away, whether it be through disease, loss, economic struggle, whatever it is, and you come to the point where you realize that it's only Jesus that cannot be shaken in my world. He's the cornerstone, the one through which everything else lines up then you've got to ask the question, where do I stand in relationship to Him? And that's the question I'm going to leave you with. That's the question I want you to take into, into communion together. Where do you stand? And, and where do you stand amidst within with all that's being shaken around us right now? Because the invitation is to stand up and look up. And I know it's anxious. And I know it's not settled. But I believe Jesus spoke to that group of followers and it was going to be difficult. Horrendously difficult in the days to come. And I believe he would walk in this room right now and say the exact same thing to us. Stand up, look up. Because I am unshakable at this moment. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, these are some tough words. And I'm going to acknowledge that this seems like a very difficult season that we live in. But you predicted it. You both predicted what your earliest followers would experience. And you predicted that we would still struggle in many ways with the same thing. So, Father, with disease, with riots, with violence, with the injustice that seems to be perpetrated around our world and with so much in the unknown, Father, I pray that we would be the ones in the middle of it that would see opportunity, see you as unshakable. And that would allow us to stand up and to look up. Father, for anyone that's hearing this message and they have yet to realize that you're the unshakable one or that they don't know where they stand with you, I pray that you would begin a work in their heart. And if there's, there's a question they need to ask or if there's somebody they need to talk to, that you would compel them to do so they would seek out and reach somebody. They reach us or somebody that they know. Anyway, Father, that this would begin to make fruit in their lives and to begin a life change for them. So that even with all the chaos that's going on around us, they can still know in the middle of it all that you are Lord and that you have got this no matter what we're experiencing. Father, I'm so grateful for these words, even though they're tough to hear. But you are aware of every need. In the name of Jesus I pray, amen.